Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid. High amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So, at four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual, because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamin. The ingredients are 100% traceable, it's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals, and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast. If you're hearing this, then the Safe Empowerment System for Social and Generalized Anxiety is still heavily discounted at 50% off. Normally $99, but for a limited period of time, you'll get 50% off if you visit quietbegins.com using the coupon code BRAIN50. That's BRAIN50 when checking out quietbegins.com. Life presents the toughest challenges. Every day you are faced with decisions that test your ability to express who you really want to be in this world. We're told to keep saying affirmations and keep thinking positively, but what do you do when that stuff doesn't work? Welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain, where you'll learn to make decisions that are right for you so that you can create the life you want now. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Paul Coliani and I'm here to help you increase your emotional intelligence so that you can avoid dysfunction, handle toxic situations with grace and ease, and show up as your authentic self. Everything I talk about on this show is my personal opinion and is meant for informational and educational purposes only. Always consult a medical or psychological professional before making any changes that could affect your physical or mental health. We've been seeing a lot of um, medical professionals on the air lately. Uh, you know, on TV and press conferences and things like that, at least as far as, you know, talking about the COVID-19 thing going on that we're all experiencing. And it, it reminds me that um, a lot of people that probably used to listen to this show on their commute are now listening to it in other places, in other ways, in other um, areas of the house, <laughs> I guess you could say, if you're quarantining yourself. I hope you are staying safe during this time. Uh, if you are listening to this in the future, it is the end of March 2020, and we are hopefully on the last few weeks of this coronavirus thing going on. Uh, if you're listening to this right now, then you know exactly what I'm talking about, and you hear all you hear all about it from all these sources. So I'm not going to talk about the virus or the disease or anything like that. Uh, I'll just get into the show. But I do want to acknowledge it. I just can't skim over it and pretend that I'm not going through anything and you're not going through anything. I think denial is not healthy. I think it's important to understand there are things out there that exist and we need to be aware of them and we need to think critically and carefully and reasonably and rationally as we go through life on what we should be doing to protect ourselves or uh, make the right decisions and the healthiest decisions. You do the best you can. And 
that's what we're doing. You know, my girlfriend and I are holed up in our house. We've been in this, you know, mess for weeks, just like everyone else. And uh, we are doing our best to stay safe and um, not spread and not get it. And from what I can tell, all of our friends are doing the same thing. Some people aren't, but the people I know are. And when something like this comes around, hopefully it doesn't come around again, but I'm sure it will in some way, shape or form come around again. Uh, We just have to consider the facts. We have to consider what we need to do for ourselves. And we also have to consider that not everybody knows everything. Not everyone knows what to do in every situation. It's like relationships, right? We don't always know what to say. We don't always know what to do. So we do the best we can. Some relationships aren't that easy. Some relationships are you do the best you can and it's still not good enough. Or you think you're saying the right thing and it's the wrong thing. They took it the wrong way. Or you just said something that triggered them. You know, they're emotionally charged now and now you have to have an argument about it or something like that. And so we do our best. What happens when we do our best and it's still taken the wrong way? Well, sometimes that leads to, like I said, arguments. Sometimes it leads to hurt feelings. And sometimes you can't get over it. Sometimes you can't get past it, even though you had the best intentions or they had the best intentions. Some people can have the best intentions and the wrong or bad implementation. I had the best intentions. I I washed the dishes and they came out sparkly clean, but I broke your favorite ceramic dish that you handmade with your grandmother. I mean, this happens and that person could be upset that you broke something so special, even though you had good intentions. That reminds me of a message I saw in the empowerment group over in Facebook. If you want, you can join the overwhelmed brain empowerment group. It's a Facebook group and it's a closed group. So nobody can see what we're posting in there, but you're welcome to join that. Uh, Somebody posted, um, What do you do when your partner does something seemingly nice for you or anyone, if it's not your partner, anyone in your life, they do something seemingly nice for you and you didn't want it and it sort of violated your values or your boundaries and they expected you to be grateful and appreciative for something that you didn't ask for, but they thought was nice. (laughs) There's a little challenge there, but Uh, I think you know what I'm trying to say. Uh, In fact, I'll give you a a better example. Um, My girlfriend's ex-husband, she told him, hey, I need to reach, uh, I forget what it was, might have been Christmas decorations or something. I need to be able to reach these Christmas decorations. Please keep them where I can reach them. Um, And she might even have even said, please don't put them in the attic because I'll never be able to get them out of there. Well, she came home one day and he had, quote, kindly put all of the decorations in the attic, cleaning the house and making it spotless in there and said, Hey, you know, I've cleaned the place and I put everything in the attic. And it was at first an awkward thing to accept for her because now she's coming home and it's a nice clean house. And it was a friendly gesture, she thinks. Um, but he did exactly the opposite of what she wanted. So she is trying to reconcile how to respond when he seems to have done a nice thing, yet he did something that was totally against what she wanted and she conveyed. How do you handle something like that? I don't even know the answer to that. I'm supposed to have all these tricks and techniques and processes, but that's a tricky one. 
because you never know someone's intention. His intentions, you know, he turned out to be a piece of work, but his intentions seem to emanate from wanting to control the situation and control the relationship. And even though she didn't want them up there, he put them up there anyway because he believed he could probably get away with putting them up there because everything else looked nice. So again, that's a tough gray area because who knows, maybe his intentions were good and noble, or maybe they were a way to control her. I mean, let me explain that a little bit. Um, he was emotionally abusive and she had a, had to deal with a lot of crap from him. And this was one of many, many, many things that he did. It wasn't just a one-off thing. One-off things are totally different. When I talk about emotional abuse on my other podcast, Love and Abuse, I always talk about patterns and connecting all the dots and trying to see all the instances of what someone might see as benign behavior, but if you add them all together and they compound into something bigger and you can see it, the bigger picture, you can zoom out and see the bigger picture, then you'll notice, hey, there's a pattern here that is creating trouble in the relationship. There's these little subtle things that one person is doing that creates control and manipulation and you never see it in the moment. You only see it when you see the pattern and you zoom out and you see the bigger picture. So that one instance of him putting the decorations in the attic might be seen as something nice, you know, something that, you know, he didn't have to do that, but he did. But if you also count in all the other times that he just went ahead and did whatever he wanted to do anyway, and then passed it off as something nice that she should be grateful for, you start to see these patterns and these patterns unfold into something more could be insidious, could be controlling and manipulative, could be something else. But regardless, the bottom line is that he decided not to honor her wishes. I made an episode a while back called uh, Valuing Your Partner's Values. That is right along the lines of that. He didn't value her values. He just decided to go ahead and do something else thinking that this is a nice thing to do or maybe using it as a way to control or whatever. You know, I can't analyze their relationship, but from what I've seen, that's apparently what it was all about. And again, that can be a gray area because you can do something nice for someone and they don't take it the right way. They don't like it. And it turns out that it was against their values or against their boundaries or they just didn't want it. It's like getting someone a gift that you spent a lot of time and money on and they receive it, and you can tell they're not crazy about it. <laughs> but you have to ask yourself, did I put in my due diligence? Did I ask them what they wanted? Do I know for sure that they wanted this? And should I be disappointed if I got something that I put a lot of time and effort into that doesn't seem to resonate with them the same way? It's not as welcome to them as it was fulfilling for me? And should I be upset that they're not grateful? Tricky area. Like I said, I don't have all the answers here. In fact, you know, I've received gifts in the past that I didn't want. I'll admit, but you know, haven't we all, haven't we all received something that we didn't really want or didn't really need? But what do you do? Most of us would act grateful. Thank you so much. <laughs> I mean, what else are you going to do? You don't want to make the other person feel bad, uh, even though that's not your responsibility. 
You know, if you say, oh, I didn't need this gift, you're going to feel pretty bad. But if you decide, you know, I don't want someone to feel bad and, you know, I don't want to be the person that makes them feel bad, I'm going to be grateful. And I think you can look at that as one of those one-offs. A gift every now and then that doesn't work for you is a one-off. But every other week, this person is trying to do things that are, quote, nice. Now I see a pattern because in this case with the woman who said, you know, my boyfriend is nice and he does things, but he does things that I really don't want. And in fact, some of it really ticks me off. Some of it gets me angry. And so, you know, where I go with that is uh, when that starts to happen, if you don't address it, you will grow resentment and you will put a wedge between you. I mean, in this case, he's probably putting the wedge there because he's not listening to what she's saying or she's not saying enough. So what should she do? I think when this happens, and I, you know, I have to kind of relate to this in my own life, if my girlfriend was doing something that started to irritate me, like I didn't want her to do it, even though she did it as a nice gesture, what would I do or what would I say? And, you know, I'm a little bit better with boundaries than, you know, some people, and I'm a little bit better expressing my values and telling people what's acceptable and what's not. I would say, hey, look, when you do that, it's kind of irritating. (laughs) Or maybe I wouldn't use that word. Or I might just say, uh, could you please not do that? I, I know it's a nice gesture, but it's something that I don't want. And it's hard to say this off the cuff because I'm sure I would say it differently with more tact but it is something that I would have to address. It's like when somebody rubs your arm, if somebody is really wanting to connect with you and they're rubbing your arm, but you have a a wound there and every time they rub their hand over the wound, it hurts. When you say, hey, could you please not rub that area of my arm? Someone might get offended by that. Like, well, fine. I was just being kind. I just wanted to connect with you. And you go, well, you know, it, it hurts that area of my arm. Maybe, you know, hold my hand or something. Well, no, I don't want to hold your hand anymore. I'm, I'm done. You know, maybe they'll stonewall you. They'll, or they'll just shut down the conversation and walk away. When that happens, now we're looking at more manipulative behavior. Manipulative behavior is controlling how you want the conversation to go. And if you don't go the way they want the conversation to go, they will stop the conversation and do something else. And then that puts you in a, or the, the goal is to put you in a guilty state. If you feel guilty, you'll make up for feeling guilty by being extra nice to them. And when you do that, you are usually in a a, a repeated cycle of continuous making up for things. And I talk more about that in the Love and Abuse podcast, but that is what you have to be aware of with certain people is that they will do certain things so that you stay in a makeup mode. I need to make up for this. I need to do better next time. I need to do more next time. I need to satisfy them. I need to make sure that they don't think I'm a bad person. Again, the one-offs, no big deal. That's going to happen. No way to avoid it. But the repetition of that same behavior where it creates a pattern where you're doing it over and over again, you're always in makeup mode. You're always in trying to please them mode. I can say almost always, um, yeah, almost always, that that is intentional, that they want you to stay in that less powered state. You know, you, it's not powerless, but you have less power. You have less personal power. 
And if you're in that less personal powered state, then you are going to try to make up for it and try to get your power back from them. They hold your power when you fall for that. Yes, it's a con game. When you fall for them keeping you in that makeup place, you're being conned into uh, getting your power back from them, which means they have the ability to take your power away. And that doesn't even mean that they're always doing it intentionally. That's just something that they may have developed. Maybe you do that to other people. That just develops in you as part of your makeup, as part of your sometimes survival mechanisms, your coping mechanisms. And when you have that going on in any relationship that you have, it's toxic, it's draining, and it's unhealthy, of course. And when you have that going on, it has to be addressed. So the person who wrote that in the Facebook group, um, it has to be addressed. And she said, well, if I address it, he gets offended. So what? (laughs) I know that's hard. And I know that, you know, in certain situations, that's not advisable. You know, if he's violent, uh, but if he's just moping or gets upset or angry and huffs away uh, and he's not uh, harmful to you physically or he's not scary then it's time to maybe say something. Hey, look, you know, when you do that, uh, it really bothers me. Could you please not do that? She'll probably get, well, fine. I just won't be nice anymore. Well, how do you reply to that? My response to that would be, it's not that you're not nice. It's just that I don't want that. I don't like that. Or uh, I need you to do it differently. It's not that you're not nice. Of course, it's nice. It's a nice gesture, but this is the way it would make me happy. I mean, that's your goal, right? To make me happy. He may say, no, it may not be his goal. The, the next question after that would be, well, do you like when I'm happy? Oh, there's a good question, right? Do you like when I'm happy? Well, yes, of course I like when I'm happy. That's why I'm doing these things. That's what he might say. I'm doing these things. So you're happy. Well, if you like when I'm happy, will you do what I like? That's a good question. Will you do what I like? Yeah, of course I want to do what you like. Great. Here's what I like. And here's what I don't like. So this could be tough to address it. I know some people are tough to talk to, but unless you address it, you build resentment and you drive a wedge between the relationship that's already being driven in there by the other person, but somebody needs to address it and it has to be addressed soon because then the pent up energy starts, the negativity, and it builds up. And when it builds up, you end up um, having less and less intimacy, less connection, less love. In fact, you're building a wall around your emotional core, your heart, if you want to look at it that way, so that you aren't as hurt and you're not as connected. Because if you're not as connected, you won't be as hurt. We do this to ourselves. We build these walls around our emotional core so that we aren't as hurt. But that also means we can't get as close. So that wall gets thicker and higher every time we don't address what's going on. You know, I'm going to talk about my girlfriend. My girlfriend is a perfect example of this. If I do anything that bothers her, she might be okay with it once or twice. If it continues to happen, 
and I don't have any ill intention here. I might be doing something as nice as stroking her hair, for example. In fact, this happened. <laughs> this happened uh, two or three weeks ago. Stroking her hair. She goes, could you please stop doing that? I said, oh, uh, okay, why? She goes, I feel like a dog. <laughs> I feel like a dog when you do that. And I thought, wow, I was doing something kind and loving and gentle. And I thought it was just connecting with her. But to her, she took it that way. And of course, I didn't mean to treat her as a dog. Uh, and of course, this could be triggering something from her past, or it could just be something she's never experienced from anyone else, and it feels weird. And so it took me a moment to think, well, geez, if I can't rub her hair, oh, what does that mean? Uh, maybe I shouldn't touch her face or her neck. I mean, I don't touch her face necessarily, but the back of her neck or her back. What, uh, what does this mean? And so I had to kind of process it for a moment and realize, okay, this isn't about me at all. Because anyone could come along and rub her head or, you know, put their fingers through her hair and it might bother her. So I have to learn not to take it personally. And this is a good suggestion for the person in the Facebook group that I'm talking about here. In order for him to not take it personally, you could say, it's not that you do it. If anyone did that to me, it would bother me. It's not that it's an unkind gesture. It's just a gesture that doesn't make me feel very good. And I think that you want me to feel good. So I would rather let you know than hold resentment about it. And hopefully he'll get that. And hopefully he'll say, well, thank you for telling me because I don't want you to hold resentment toward me. I don't want you to be upset with me. So I'm glad you told me. Now, he may, again, still be offended. He may still have to process that. He may get angry, but it doesn't matter because it's important that we value each other's values. And sometimes the other person's values won't be in alignment with yours or not even a value. I mean, this could just be a simple minor boundary, like me putting my hand on my girlfriend's head. It's not that I just put my hand on her head and she's upset. It's that I may have stroked her head like a, I would stroke a dog's head. And again, that's not what I was thinking when I was doing it. But uh, this is the kind of stuff that could appear five, ten years down the road in any relationship. We've been together over five years now, and that's the first I've heard of this. Good to know. <laughs> so I adjust my behavior accordingly because I want her to be happy. I don't want to do things that I think will make her happy. I want to do things that I know will make her happy. That's more fulfilling for me. If I wanted to do things that I think would make her happy, knowing that it may or may not make her happy, then it's more selfish. It's more about me. And if I'm touching my girlfriend on the arm or on the head, I want to make it about her. I want to show her that I care about her, that I am wanting to connect with her. But if I'm connecting in a way that's rubbing a wound, then that's not going to work for her or you know, if it's an emotional trigger or if it's making her feel weird or inferior, I don't want any of that. So what am I going to do? I'm going to, I'm going to adjust my behavior because it's more important to me that she feels valued, that she feels respected, that I am listening to her. I mean, that's the best kind of love, isn't it? When someone listens to you and they value you and they value what you say and they honor what you say. They, they don't cross the line. They don't cross your boundaries. That is caring and loving and connecting. 
And so the person in the Facebook group, that's pretty much all I have to say about this. I'm sure something else will come to mind, but it's important to understand that uh, some people, even with the best intentions, do have to be told that they aren't connecting with you in a way that you want. And so it's important to tell that. If it's a one-off, if it's a gift out of nowhere and you don't like it, it doesn't go with anything in your house, it doesn't go with your wardrobe, and maybe it's hideous, you say, thank you so much for this. <laughs> you say, I am so appreciative of how much thought and effort that you put into this. Thank you. Then you might have to accept it that way. And some people may disagree with that. Some people may say, no, it's better to be honest because what if they get you the same thing or something worse next year? Well, I have an excuse for that. <laughs> I have an excuse you can use. My excuse is, you know, I wore that thing that you got me a few times and it just doesn't go with anything I have. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. They may be offended, but maybe not. At least you're not hurting their feelings in, a mo in the moment, but at least you are also setting them up to not fail. That's a bad way to put it, but you understand. Uh, next time. So when they get you a gift next time that they will realize, oh, they don't like the Rasta look. I better not get that colorful bag again because they don't like it. Because yes, some people are attached to what they give you. And you just have to be careful about that. Even if you're doing this, if you are very attached to what you give someone, that's what I call uh, strings attached. And I guess, you know, attached is part of strings attached. So that's a good way to look at it. So when you have strings attached to what you give someone, you expect something in return. You either expect a feeling or some credit, emotional credit, like, hey, I, I got them a gift and now I'm in their good graces for a year or something else. Whenever you have any type of string attached to the gift, that means that it's not really selfless. It's more about you than them. If you can give a gift, and this is what my mom has learned over the years through me, actually, but she learned it from me. And I'll tell you the story right now she gave me a gift a long time ago. I was a teenager. It was a stereo and I held on to the stereo for quite a few years. And then one day I sold it and we weren't living together. You know, we were a thousand miles apart and um, she asked about the stereo. I said, oh, you know, I got rid of that last year. I didn't need it anymore. And I got another one and I forget what I said, but she said, you got rid of it. Why would you get rid of it? I, I gave you that as a gift. And it surprised me that she said this. And I was kind of shocked. I, I was like, how do I respond to this? I think I just hurt my mom. And uh, she was really offended. And I, I finally said, mom, uh, I'm not sure how to answer this. I mean, I said, do you expect me to keep anything that you ever give me for the rest of my life? Or what do you expect when you give a gift? Again, I don't remember exactly how I worded it, but it was pretty much along those lines. And in that moment, she got it. I mean, she really, she, she thought about it and she goes, wait, well, I guess not. <laughs> she just never thought about it. She just thought, oh, there's my gift to you. He's going to keep it forever. And every time he plays it, he's going to think of me. I mean, maybe she thought that I'm throwing words in her mouth right now. But if that was the case, then she never had any type of other reality around that. Her gift giving always had strings attached. And again, that's a guess, but I'm assuming that's how she was operating. I'm going to give you this gift and it's going to make me feel good because you have this gift that reminds you of me. But if you get rid of that gift, it's like getting rid of me. 
It's like throwing me in the trash or selling me to someone else. So she was really attached to it. It was like her identity almost. So when I asked her, you know, do you expect me to keep everything that you give me forever? Like what if it breaks or what if I can't use it anymore? Do I just put it in storage? And I was kind of asking these questions and she said, you know, I guess not. I never really thought about it. I guess I don't expect that. And I tell you what, from that day forward, her gift giving was wonderful, wonderful. And it still is today. She gives gifts like this. I got this for you. I thought about you. I thought you'd like it. But if you don't want it, no problem. You can sell it on eBay. I honestly don't care. It really changed her life. And when I heard that, I was like, what? What do you mean? You know, of course I'll, you know, use this. She goes, no, it doesn't matter to me. And she was honest. She was genuine about it. It doesn't really matter to me. It's okay. And I thought, wow, she really has shifted here. And it also changed how she saw her attachment with material items as well, because she went on to become Miss eBay queen. She, she sells on eBay. She gets things all the time and sells them. And she's able to let go of things now. Uh, because she was able to practice letting go of attachments. You know, I talked about that probably several years ago in a, a couple episodes, letting go of attachments. And her being able to do that changed her life. And so I think that's important. And I'm just going to wrap this up. I think it's important to understand that what you give to someone shouldn't really have to do with you. Or if it does, make sure there's no strings attached. You know, you can give to someone and still feel good about it, but don't feel bad if they don't like it or if they want to get rid of it, unless they're just a jerk about it. I mean, that's a different story and we could talk about that on another show, but for the most part, you giving to someone should be about them. And if you're not meeting their needs or meeting them within their values or did no research whatsoever on what they really wanted, didn't listen for the clues when they were talking to you or didn't listen to their direct thoughts or opinions on what they wanted in their life, whether it's a gift or an act of service, an act of caring, whatever it is, if that's not what they want, then it's better for you to shift what you give than to get upset that they're not receiving it right. Because I guarantee you, if I sent you a box of chocolate covered ants (laughs) and I said, you know, I traveled to uh, wherever, where do they sell chocolate covered ants? I don't know. I traveled to another country and they, and I tried these chocolate covered ants and they're delicious. And I spent a lot of money importing them into this country and I wanted to give them to you. And I, I know you're going to love them just as much as I do. You might hesitate. <laughs> you might have trouble receiving it. You might say, thank you so much. That's very, very kind of you. And later on, you never ate them. And if I called you up a week later and I said, how are those chocolate covered ants? You might say, I I couldn't bring myself to eat them. (laughs) And I would say, hopefully I totally get it. I didn't think you would, but I wanted to give it to you anyway. I really wanted to see if you could like brave it, but I didn't think you would. So it's all good. Hopefully you would get a response like that from someone who gives a gift because there are people out there that will think they're giving something nice. And when you're not that receptive to it or even upset about it, You know, if they gave you the gift of painting your house the worst color imaginable, you might think, wow, that's like the worst thing you could have done. (laughs) Uh, I really don't appreciate that color. I wish you would ask me what color I wanted. I mean, this is the nicest gesture ever, but I have to paint over it because this color is not something I wanted. 
my point is when you're doing something nice for someone or when someone's doing something nice for you, uh, make sure there's no strings because if there are strings, then, then it changes the gift and it turns into a way of either control or manipulation or something toxic. There's just some toxicity in there. We have to be really careful. So I hope this helps the person in the Facebook group. And if you're interested in joining that group, you certainly can the overwhelmed brain empowerment group over in Facebook. And, um, It'd be great to connect with you in there. Otherwise, we'll be right back and I'm going to read you a couple emails. Um, hopefully, they'll, they'll be pretty quick. One of them is a response from another episode I did. And one of them is about a relationship issue that I'm just going to answer in as few minutes as possible because I have one point to make with it. Anyway, we'll be right back right after this. Like I said earlier, the safe empowerment system for social and generalized anxiety is available at a heavy discount at 50% off. I'm doing this because there's a lot of anxiety in the world. I mean, there almost always is, but especially around this time with the virus going around and such. So I knew that um, some people are tight on money and it, it can be helpful to have a product designed to help them get through the anxiety. And it's uh, something that I wanted to do. And if it helps, Absolutely fantastic, and I just wanted to make it available. So go to quietbegins.com, use the coupon code BRAIN50, that's BRAIN50, and you'll get 50% off. And uh, for those of you who don't know what this is or you want to find out, you can certainly go to quietbegins.com and it'll tell you all about it. There's even a sample audio of it, but it's basically an audio program slash, it's sort of a master class where uh, not only do I walk you through several techniques, but we also have several experts on there as well that I've created uh, certain audio segments with to help you through anxious moments, like in the moment of anxiety. So if you feel it coming on, you can play one of these uh, expert recordings and within a few minutes, hopefully feel better. And I have different uh, what I call pods in there, the learning pods and then the emergency pods. Learning pods are for long-term learning, trying to figure out how to best handle, manage, and hopefully dissolve your anxiety. And then the emergency pods are when your anxiety is starting, you can throw in one of these four to seven minute emergency pods and help it walk you through diminishing and dissolving it, which is the whole purpose of the program. So if you're interested in it, um, this is the program that started off as a social anxiety program. But there were so many things that were very similar to regular generalized anxiety that I decided to package it all together and tackle anxiety as a whole. So feel free to check it out. Go to quietbegins.com. Make sure to use the code BRAIN50 when you're checking out and you'll get 50% off today. Welcome back. I'm going to read you, like I said, a couple emails. This one's going to be pretty quick. Um, this was from someone who I talked about on another episode. Uh, I didn't look up the episode. It was about a few weeks ago from today, which is March 29th as of this recording. And it was about someone who was um, unhappy with his life and his 
and he mentioned his job and how he doesn't like going to work. And I thought, well, he probably doesn't like his job, you know, and I kind of talked about that for a little while. And uh, he wrote back and said, hi, Paul, I just listened to the podcast you did for me. And in response to your question, no, I don't like my job. So I was right on there. And so he goes on to say, you know, I've been at the same place for about seven years and I tried going up what they call the ladder, but uh, to do so, it takes a lot of sucking up and almost like if your face doesn't fit, you won't get anywhere. I feel like I can't leave my job for financial reasons and that I don't have the confidence to do so. I've been using the drugs to drown out the negative thoughts about my job and when I get home to try to forget that I even work there. I get inspired by job roles that I see on the internet, but then I get inside my own head and tell myself I could never do that or I'm not good enough for that job and that puts me back to square one. I worry about my life and where it's going and I can't help feeling that I'm wasting the time I have. Thank you so much for your advice. You're an amazing person and an inspiration to me and all your listeners. Keep up the amazing work. Much love. Well, thank you for your kind words and uh, thank you for sharing this. Uh, You know, I'm sorry. I've been in jobs that I hated. I've been in jobs that have given me major headaches literally every day. And I also had the worry of finances. And it takes an entire paradigm shift, if I may use that term, to be able to look at what's going on in your life and say, you know what, I don't care if I end up in this situation, I'm going to get away from this toxic environment. That's tough. I'm not saying you should or shouldn't do that. I'm saying I reached a point in my life that I decided I don't care if I'm broke, I'm not going to work in a toxic environment. That's hard to do. Some people can't do that. I have kids. I have a house. I have a a wife or a husband to to take care of. Some people don't want to do that. They don't want to take that chance. So they won't. And they'll stay in the toxic environment. And again, I'm not saying that's my advice. I'm saying that sometimes we have to shift our paradigm, you know, our reality, our belief on what we should be doing in our life, our perception of the world. Whatever we're holding on to for beliefs and perceptions about how the world works, we might have to drop. And that's what I did when it comes to any type of toxic relationship or toxic environment that I'm in, I have to question my belief system. Why do I believe I have to be here? Why do I believe I have to stay? Well, if I leave, I won't have any money. Well, why is that important to me? Well, if I don't have any money, I can't eat. Or I can't pay my rent or my mortgage or I can't pay my car payment. So I'm willing to ruin 90% of every day by staying in a toxic environment that I have to go home, and in this person's case, and take drugs to drown out my misery. That doesn't sound like living at all. That sounds like a slow death. That sounds awful. And I have to ask someone in this position, what is your belief system? Is your belief system that we are here to suffer at the hands of someone else in a toxic environment with toxic people with no hope for advancement, no chance of getting ahead and just keep trudging along just to make money? Yes, money is important. Absolutely. I don't disagree. But is slowly dying less important or more? This is where we really have to start questioning our belief systems. I mean, this is what I'm hearing from this person. I would rather slowly die 
at work and then come home and slowly kill my brain cells and slowly kill my organs and slowly kill my body and my mind with drugs because I hate my job so much, even though I could quit. How could you say that, Paul? (laughs) How could I say that? Because we all need money. We all have to pay rent. We all have to pay for food. But I have to look at my priorities. What's more important, my money or my life? (laughs) Well, you know, you look at it that way. Oh, well, money's important. It helps me with life. It keeps me going. What if I have tons of medical bills? What if I have certain food restrictions and requirements? I mean, all of this is important. It is. And I'm not telling you that you should do one thing or another. I'm saying right now, what your priorities are, are causing you to drown out the misery in drugs every night. So maybe you need to change your priorities. Because if your only quote saving grace is taking drugs to drown out your day, then you're not living, you're dying. And how do you live? What do you have to change inside of you? What is your belief that it's more important to make money than to be healthy or to have some semblance of a good day at a somewhat good job or doing something that you at least don't hate? And that's risky for me to say. It's risky for me to tell you to do any of that. That's why I'm saying you don't have to do this. You don't have to do anything I'm saying. In fact, you need to take care of yourself in a way that works for you. This is how I look at things. You know, you wrote to me, this is my perspective. This is my opinion. My opinion is, and I base this on uh, my history, you know, back in, what was it? 2010, 2009, back in the day, over 10 years ago, I was married and we were broke and I finally got a job and money was coming in. And three weeks into the job, I realized this job is not right. It's making me feel like a prisoner. It feels like a toxic environment. There's nowhere to go. And I'm being told to stare at my screen, don't give any input and basically shut up and do my job. And so I felt stifled. I felt so trapped because if I left the job, we'd be in line at the soup kitchen, literally. The next day, we'd be like, okay, gotta go back to the soup kitchen because we have no money. And thankfully, I had a supportive wife that said, you know what, I honor any decision you need to make. And so I really decided that I needed to prioritize number one, me. Number one is not money. Number one is not a nice car or a house that might be number two, (laughs) but number one is me. Number one is you. Number one is what you do to you and everything stems out from there. Everything branches out from you because once you are taken care of, then you can take care of the house and the car and the rent and the food and all this other stuff in your life. This is only my opinion, not my professional advice. I'm not saying that you need to quit your job because yeah, you could end up at the soup kitchen. Yeah, you could end up homeless. There's all kinds of things you could end up. But the way I perceive life now is life is most important. Me, I am most important. Just like you, I see you as most important. And if we were best friends and you came to me and and you said, God, money's tight. I live paycheck to paycheck and I hate my job and I don't know what to do. I would say, quit your job. Because once you get that off your plate, your mind is going to be free to make decisions that work for you. Your mind is going to be clear because you'll be away from the toxicity. I'm not saying that you should do that. 
I'm saying that you need to prioritize you. And when you do that, it will lead you to do things that are right for you. It will clear your mind up when you prioritize you. Because you're going to ask the question, if I'm most important, if my sanity is most important, if my health is most important, if my happiness is most important, then what is the toxic element, parentheses S, element, elements, that I need to get rid of in my life? What are those elements? Or if not get rid of, change. I mean, I've been through jobs where I decided not to say anything and change how things are and just decide to stay miserable and eventually quit. I've stayed at jobs I hated and instead of asking for what I wanted from them, I just kept taking it and taking it and left. And after all these years, I learned that, oh, all I had to do is go in and ask the boss what I wanted. That doesn't mean they would give it to me. It just meant I didn't take advantage of an opportunity that I had that I could have. I, I could have asked for what I wanted. And they may have said no. And they may have fired me on the spot. But at least I gave myself a chance. Whereas some people stay at a job they hate and it's a toxic environment. And they continue to go every day and they come home miserable every day. Because they don't have the same priorities as I do. Or some other people. And they hate their life. And uh, they won't ask for anything different. They just believe they have to take it. When in reality, there's a number of things that you can do that, yes, are scary. Yes, are going to change your life and maybe a big yes that things will get better and the possibility that things won't change. But I look at it this way. If you don't take the chance, it will never change. If you do take the chance, there's a chance of it changing. And if you take a big step forward, things will change. And when things do change, you're going to show up for yourself. That's my perspective. You're going to show up for yourself, meaning you're going to do whatever it takes to live a better life, to stay away from the toxicity, to put yourself in a better position. You're going to do it because you'll finally get this other piece of your life out, which has been draining you. So that's why I like to look at it as I am number one and you are number one. You, you take care of number one. This is overused, but this is why people say you put the oxygen mask on you first. Because without that energy, without that health, without that vitality, how are you going to put it on anyone else? And even if you're alone, like this person who wrote to me a few weeks ago, he may be completely alone. He may not, I don't remember if he's in a relationship or not, but he may be completely alone. But the same philosophy still applies. He still has to apply that mask to himself before he gives it to his employer. You can look at it that way. So I hope that helps you. Thank you for writing back um, the person who wrote. And I know it's tough because drugs are such an easy way to cover up what we don't want to deal with or we can't change or we think we can't change. But there are changes that you can make that you might have to because you can't really maintain and sustain the norm the way it is right now, at least the way you described it to me. Thank you again for writing. And I'm going to read you the last one during the outro. And uh, there's one thing I want to say about it. Uh, it's got a lot going on, but really it all boils down to one thing. And it's very much along the same lines as what we were talking about just now. Thank you so much for joining me today. When we come back, I'm going to say my goodbyes, some thank yous, and my final words after this.
Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to remind you to visit quietbegins.com and apply the coupon code BRAIN50 to the Safe Empowerment System for Social and Generalized Anxiety. If you are dealing with anxiety and you are kind of sick of it, maybe now's the time to tackle it. Quietbegins.com. I also want to thank new patron members, Crystal and Amy. Thanks for joining the patron program. I appreciate your support. Everyone that joins the patron program helps to support the show and keep this show going. This is like, what, the seventh year now? All because of the patron program. Everything that comes into the patron program goes back into the show, goes into the hosting that we pay for, goes into the equipment it takes to run, the editing time, the processing, the rendering. I mean, some of this stuff is just filler words, but (laughs) there's a lot that goes in to this show. And I am so grateful for those who are supporting the show. Uh, Thank you, Crystal and Amy, for joining. Thank you for all the patron members that have been, some of them, for years. I think like Stephen and Amanda, so many people that have been with this show and supporting this show and supporting me even. I'll even say that. They're supporting me too for years. And it blows me away. And I am so grateful for every one of you that joins. So you can join the program yourself by going to patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com. And of course, when you join, it's not just about sending money. It's about getting something back in return as well. Not just this show, but I have like um, just under 100 private episodes in the patron program right now as of this recording and uh, a bunch of other like little video segments and some archived uh, video trainings that I did and a bunch of free workbooks in there. So there's all kinds of stuff over there that when you join the program, you get access to all of it. Plus, you get discounts on uh, products and coaching and things like that if you're looking for anything else that I offer. But um, feel free to give that a shot over at patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com. And uh, I'd also like to thank Camelia for donating. She found the donate button. (laughs) Some people don't. Uh, I don't really stick the donate button in anyone's face. But she found the donate button either on my site at theoverwhelmedbrain.com or over at patron.theoverwhelmedbrain.com. There's a donate button. So if you want to give a one-time donation like Camelia did, thank you, Camelia. That is so generous of you. And, uh, you know, you didn't put a note there, so I'm going to assume that you're just saying thank you for what I do. And I am grateful. You're welcome. I I am so grateful for you. Anyone who donates, thank you so much. Again, if you're looking for that donate button, if you're on a like a phone, you'll have to scroll down to the bottom. But uh, if you're on the laptop or a tablet or a computer, you'll see the donate button on the right. It's not hugely obvious. In fact, it's kind of an ugly button. I think I have to change it. But it's there and uh, you can use it if you'd like. Thank you again. I'd also like to thank a couple iTunes reviewers like um, Tenzin Free Tibet. That's their iTunes name. Says, I recently started listening to the podcast, but I haven't really enjoyed them until I found this one. (laughs) Uh, This person says they're hooked. So thank you for that review. And uh, I appreciate those words. And uh, another iTunes reviewer called 50 and Still Growing, that's their handle, said, Uh, You'd think at age 50, a person would be stronger within themselves, but some of us still need guidance. Yes, some of us still need guidance, but don't make age a factor in guidance and don't make age a factor in what you've learned and what you've healed from and what you are doing to improve yourself. Don't make age a factor. Age has nothing to do with it. It's all about the timeliness of lessons and the timeliness of when you're ready to learn those lessons and when and if you're ready to heal. Hopefully everyone's ready to heal, but sometimes you're not ready. Sometimes someone hands you a book and says, oh, you've got to read this book. And you look at it and you go, oh, 
I don't know. I, I might read the book. Or if you listen to me earlier, be like, oh, I'm so grateful. Thank you so much. But you might put it away and never read it. But five years from now, or even 20 years from now, you pick out that book and go, wow, this is exactly what I need right now. I'm ready for this. That's what happens is that sometimes we're just not ready for the lessons or the healing. So time has to move forward until we are. And some people might think, well, I don't want to learn my lessons at 50. I want to learn at 30 or 20. I, I hear you, but sometimes lessons have a way of going through a sequence of events until they hit you perfectly. I mean, sometimes that happens. You just have to be hit with the lesson or the healing in a way that resonates with you. It's like everything has to line up for you to be ready for it. That's not even a spiritual perspective. That's really a practical perspective. Sometimes you have to get to the point where you've had enough of something and you've reached rock bottom where you say, I'm finally ready to do something in my life. I'm finally ready to change my life because that's what it might take. But you couldn't reach rock bottom until you reached it. You couldn't feel defeat until you were defeated. So never put age in there as some sort of disappointment that you have that you should have done it earlier because it wouldn't happen until it happens. And this, you know, there's no better way to explain it, really. It just, it's not going to happen until it happens. Now, it does happen when you are more open to it and when you are ready to change and when you are willing to take a risk. That's always been my viewpoint because I've noticed that the biggest changes in my life happened when I took risks. And I'm talking about risks that you may not even think are risks, like, Oh, I need to heal from this jealousy that I'm carrying around. The risk in that might be, yeah, but if I don't have jealousy, uh, then my girlfriend might go do something that uh, causes me to be upset or she might go cheat on me, you know, or she might, you know, be flirting with some other guy. You know, I might have these thoughts. So the risk is if I deal with the jealousy, I might lose my awareness or something might really happen that I was really jealous about. So my risk are these consequences that I probably made up that I need to accept as consequences. That's scary. I know it's very scary, but sometimes this is what we need to do in order to improve ourselves, in order to heal, in order to move on. Because at one point I did deal with jealousy, just using that example, and I didn't like the feeling of jealousy. So even though there was a risk involved with me working on jealousy and dealing and healing from the jealousy, I decided to take that risk because I hated the feeling of carrying around jealousy. I don't like being jealous. I don't like thinking about what she's doing all the time. And for me, that's another episode and I've talked about jealousy before, but it involved me being 100% faithful in the person I was with until they proved me wrong. That was a very hard paradigm shift, <laughs> believe me, but I was so sick of feeling like I felt and I wanted to get rid of it. So I believe there's always a risk involved in the big changes in life. So when it comes to age, sometimes you get to that point where you go, you know what, I'm not getting any younger, so I might as well take the risk. It's going to be worth it because what I'm going through now is no fun and isn't living. And I don't like not living. I want to at least try to live and attempt to live. So I'm going to take this risk. And if I have to reach rock bottom first, then so be it because where I am now kind of sucks. So you want to look at life as a series of timely challenges and lessons that will come when they come. And yes, you can speed it along if you are willing to 
I don't know, put your heart out there and tell the universe, I'm ready, bring it on. <laughs> and when you do that, get ready. I've done that and it's scary. I told the universe, whatever that means, God, the universe, whatever's out there. I said, I'm ready, bring it on. And I got it big time. And when it happened, uh, I wasn't prepared for it because we're never really prepared for the biggest challenges, but I got through it. And when I got out the other side of it, I had an entirely different life than I was living. And it was like night and day. The life I was in misery to the life I have, which is peaceful. But I was willing to take the risks and I was willing to take it on. And sometimes you have to do that. So uh, coming back to this, thank you so much to everyone that has given reviews to the show. If I don't read your review, it doesn't mean I'm not reading your reviews. I just uh, pick a few here and there and put them on the air. And finally, I'd like to thank Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the overwhelmed brain. And like I said, I want to read this really quick. It's an email for the our last part of the show here and give this person my one piece of advice. There's a lot going on probably in this person's life, but I have one piece of advice. I'm just going to read you the email. Uh, she says, firstly, thank you for your work and content, helping people to understand their behavior and relationships better. I found lots of really useful advice through your podcast and really enjoy listening. I wanted to reach out because I find myself returning to the same dissatisfaction and anxiety which surrounds both my perception of life and relationship. I'm in my 30s and I still live at home with a parent. We have a distant relationship and he was emotionally and physically neglectful whilst growing up. And although I'm in therapy and I'm trying to move past it, I feel stuck. I don't feel happy in my job. It's just a job to pay the bills. And every day that I go in, it feels pointless and I'm not invested in the business. I'm also in a relationship that I feel very anxiously attached to. He can be very emotionally distant, critical, has a temper, and I often feel like I don't like him, but I stay in it because I'm scared to be by myself and I fear ending up alone. I find myself constantly thinking about what my partner is doing. Sometimes I check his emails and wanting someone to rescue and look after me. Because he is distant, I constantly feel rejected or not good enough, and this makes me resentful. I'm so unhappy where I live. I do need to be independent. Uh, my job is not fulfilling, and my relationship can be quite toxic. I don't know where to go from here. I'm so out of touch with myself and what I actually want and enjoy, it can feel easier and more comforting to abandon myself and feel helpless. I'm worried that my life is leading nowhere and just dragging me along a path I didn't ask for. I don't make use of my spare time and instead just distract myself with social media when I really love reading and writing and would like to explore this more, but I just can't seem to motivate myself. I know I have touched on quite a few difficulties that I'm experiencing, but any advice you could offer would be so helpful. Within me is a light, but I feel so miserable that few get to experience it. Wow, what a way to end that. Um, thank you. I'm going to call you Anne. Thank you so much, Anne, for writing that. And the last sentence you said, uh, within me is a light, but I feel so miserable that few people get to experience it. Absolutely. When I read everything that is going on in your life, the light is being squashed. It's being squelched by everything you have going on in your life. And this episode, I hope you listen to the whole thing because this episode is perfect for you. Uh, so many things that you said I've already touched on and everything that is darkening your soul is happening to you. And the one thing I want to tell you uh, that I want to focus on, because I did cover you know quite a bit of this, and I hope you are reading between the lines here and there uh, of other things that I said and applying it to your life. But the one thing I want to tell you is this. There's something that I want you to say to yourself that takes into account 
what you fear and uses the words, I would rather instead of doing what I fear. And let me fill this in for a second. Uh, For example, one of the things that you said was you don't feel happy in your job. It's just a job that pays the bills and every day you go and it feels pointless and you're not invested in the business. But let's just say that you have a fear around that. I don't think you said you fear quitting your job, did you? I don't think so. But let's just say that you feared not having any money. So along the same lines I was just talking about earlier, say to yourself or say out loud, I would rather have a job that I feel stuck in, that feels meaningless, that feels pointless, and that I'm not invested in than have no money. I want you to say that. I want you to actually feel that in your body when you say it. I would rather have a pointless job that I'm completely unhappy in and I feel stuck in and I can't go anywhere in um, than have no money. This isn't a solution. I'm just asking you to try this on. Try that on. How do you feel when you say that? I would rather have that than have no money. Because if you say, yeah, that feels right. I feel totally in alignment with that. Then you value money more than something else. I'm not going to tell you what that something else is. But you value money more than that something else. But Paul, money is important. It should be up at the top. Maybe for some people it is. And I don't know how happy those people are. But for some people it is. And that's just one thing. But along the same lines with everything else in your email and in your life, use that statement. Say it to yourself. Say it out loud. I would rather, and then fill it in with something you don't like, and then talk about the fear. So your fear might be, I don't want to be broke. I would rather have this crappy job that's pointless and makes me unhappy than be broke. That could be your statement. Let's try another one. How about your relationship? I'm in a relationship that I feel very anxiously attached to. He can be very emotionally distant, critical, and he has a temper. I often feel like I don't like him, but I stay in it because I'm scared to be by myself and I fear ending up alone. Okay, so here's some fears. I'm scared to be by myself and I fear ending up alone. So I'm going to use that in my statement. So I would rather the things I don't want. I would rather be in a relationship that I'm anxiously attached to with someone that's emotionally distant, critical, has a big temper, and I don't even like him than to be alone. Say that. Say it to yourself. Feel it. Does it feel truthful? Does it feel right? I would rather be in a relationship with someone that I don't even like, that I feel anxious all the time. I mean, really exaggerate if you have to. That is completely emotionally distant from me. That is critical, both of me and everything else, and even has a temper, so I don't even know what's going to happen next. I would rather feel that way all the time in this relationship than be by myself or be alone, whatever the fear word is for you. Say that. Is it true? I really want you to reconcile that inside of you because if it isn't true, then your priorities are wrong, or at least they're out of order. They're not wrong. They're just out of order. Let's do another one. Uh, Actually, this is even more about your partners. You can even add this. Uh, So let's go back to that. I would rather be in a relationship that I feel anxiously attached to. So I'm going to keep this anxiety with a person that's emotionally distant. So I'll never feel connection or intimacy is uh, critical, has a temper. I don't even like him. And I'm constantly thinking about what my partner is doing, sometimes checking his emails. And I constantly feel rejected or not good enough at making me resentful. I would rather have all of that than be alone. 
When you think about that, how does that make you feel? I mean, this may feel very awful for you, and I don't mean to make you feel that way, but I'm trying to put this in perspective because sometimes we have a priority of something that shouldn't take priority. Because if you would rather feel all of those things than be alone, there are some values in there that might need to be switched around, might need to be reprioritized. It's like saying, I value anxiety over my alone time. And of course, being alone has a lot of you know negative connotations for some people. Some people love it. Some people don't want to dare risk it. But really, that might be the risk for you. Because what happens when you're outside of a relationship that's toxic, you suddenly start thinking differently. And you don't even know you're going to think differently until you actually go through it. Because you can't believe it's possible. Because every thought you have contains the toxic element. But as soon as you remove that toxic element that emotionally charged negative isotope, (laughs) if you want to put on a metaphoric twist there, you get clarity. You get to think sharply and clearly. And yes, you might have some pain associated with it. And yes, there might be some fear associated with it. You might have some emotional stuff that comes up and you finally get to deal with it. You finally increase the timeliness of the lessons and the healing and everything that you need to do for you So that when you're ready for the rekindling of this relationship, if you happen to break up or a brand new one, you'll have some more healing under your belt because it's very, very hard to heal when you're in a toxic situation. Very hard because you're constantly being exposed to it. You even said it twice. You said constantly feeling rejected, constantly thinking about what my partner is doing. And I would imagine constantly anxious. And if you would rather have all of that than be alone, I just want you to think about that. I just want you to stew on that for a while. Because if you really make the right thing number one in your life, your life can change. And yes, there's risk and there's an uphill climb and it's scary and you'll fall hard and then you'll get up and you'll think, oh, for the first time ever, this person is not influencing me or this toxic element is not influencing me and I can think clearly. Yes, I'm sad, but wow, I have motivation to do something with my life. Yes, it hurts and I'm alone, but wow, I can't believe that I have such clarity of thought and I know what to do now. I might just take a week off and really soak this in. You know, I don't know your situation that well, but hopefully you get what I'm saying here and this one thing that you can say to yourself will put things into perspective and make you understand what's most important. So many of us carry around these fears that overpower our suffering. It's like the fear is more important than the suffering. And when we have these fears because we're afraid to take risks and we choose to suffer instead of taking a risk based on the fear, what do we have left? We're going to have this kind of email. We're going to have this kind of uh, description of how life is and how we don't want things in life when in reality there are things that we may be able to do reprioritization, changing our values, shifting to what is number one in our life so that we clear the obstacles along the path of healing to reveal the light inside. And that's her last sentence there. Within me is a light, but I feel so miserable that few get to experience it. You know, you don't get to experience it and you need to. You need to experience that light. It's in there. You see it. You feel it. It probably tries to creep out every now and then, but then it gets radiated by all this toxicity and it goes back in. And how do we get it back? 
we got to get rid of that toxicity. And that could mean a number of things. That could mean breaking up or that could mean working things out. I'm just talking about your relationship. It could mean quitting or it could mean going to the boss and saying, look, I've worked here for X number of years. You need to help me here. I, you know, this seat has been uncomfortable. I've been holding the phone on my shoulder and I should have a headset and my monitor should be bigger or whatever you do for work. It might have to come to that. You might have to take those risks so that the light can shine again. Thank you so much for writing that. And no matter what, always keep an open mind. And this will help you step into that power. And having that power helps you make firm decisions that are right for you. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you. You are amazing. Amazing.